If you've ever had a puppy and raised it to become a big dog, you know that changing food and finding the right food is hard to get right. Ultimately, you want them to feel good and act happy and be okay with what they're eating. They're part of your family after all. I have an eight-year-old golden retriever named Roscoe, and he's always had a sensitive stomach, so finding the right food is kind of a pain. That's where Nom Nom comes in. Nom Nom's food is full of fresh protein that your dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. You can actually see proteins and vegetables like beef, chicken, pork, peas, carrots, kale, and more in the ingredients. So here's how it works. You tell them about your puppy, the age, breed, weight, allergies, protein preferences, chicken, pork, beef, and they'll tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them straight to you. If you're ready to make the switch to fresh, Order Nom Nom today and go to https forward slash forward slash trynom.com slash Kubernetes Bytes and get your 50% off of your first order plus free shipping. Plus, Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is August 31st, 2023. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. I know it's still August. It's the last day of August, and it, it feels kind of like fall outside. I, I know. The temperature you. has definitely gone down, which, which <laughs> this is perfect temperature for me. Like, I don't want it in the 90s and 100s. I uh, don't want it in the 40s. So like, as long as it's between that 50 yeah. and 70 range, perfect for me. Yeah, if it could be like this all year round, I don't. I'd be, I'd be pumped. I mean, I know it's still like 115 in Phoenix right yeah. now, so I, you know, I, I feel for, I for those people, but uh, or in Texas. But hey, you know, we chose three feet of snow in the winter. You chose that. You know, we all have our gripes about where we live. <laughs> what, what have you, what have you been up to uh, this past weekend and uh, stuff, Bob? And I don't know. I went to a conference in Vegas, VMware Explore last week. So I was out there. Yeah. Uh, How was that? Uh, it was good. Uh, I didn't go in with a lot of expectations. Like personally, I feel that that audience still is a lot of like legacy virtualization admins that want to talk about like running VMs. So, uh, but I was surprised. Like I did have more conversations than I expected when yeah. uh, at that show about Kubernetes and about like data data on Kubernetes and things like that. So overall, a good show. Uh, not as Where was that? Is that call. Vegas? Yeah, it was. So another Vegas trip, another like Vegas trip. two and two months, I, I think. I'm not going to be at reInvent this year, which I, um, I'm not terribly mad about. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm somewhere there too. Like, I think, uh, yeah, maybe I'm not on the list, but we'll see. It's still far out. <laughs> I mean, people love Vegas and power to them, but yeah, it's, not me. it's not my jam. I know. It's not my jam. If I just venture outside of Vegas and you get me into like Grand Canyon yeah. and that kind of stuff, that's that's my jam. Not in but, summer though, right? Like 150 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> I've been there in summer. I've been there Ooh. when it's 150 degrees. Uh, hiking in the Grand Canyon actually. Not but, fun. Um, 
uh, you know, as long as you make sure to drink water and not soda, <laughs> you won't have to get helicoptered out. Um, spe- speaking okay. from a friend's experience. Um, gotcha. Anyway, so I know I texted you over the weekend because I was in Chinatown. I know. Come on, dude. Like, give me some heads up. Well, I was in there and I was like, oh, I should let Baba know I'm here because uh, a buddy of mine, uh, we were going to some, um, like, whiskeys of the world oh nice thing yeah at the continental and which was great and i'm like I, I i like bourbon and stuff like that but yeah. it's not like my thing but i i did find one i really enjoyed but we went in the day because it was beautiful yeah um and i haven't been to chinatown in a while so i was like i gotta go to a few of these places get up some get some ramen there either yeah, yeah, yeah oh i didn't we didn't go around we, we went uh dumpling oh okay and shumai and all these nice. things but you know those places like windsor dumpling in boston yeah. it has you sit at shared tables and you just put check boxes with the stuff you want with dangerous by the way because you just <laughs> just keep it coming you know <laughs> and then we were walking towards the north end and i was like ah I'll get Bob but uh yeah that was nice it was a beautiful day out so i couldn't complain which is a pretty good weekend <laughs> and we have a long cool. weekend coming up so perfect we do we do uh do you have off tomorrow too or nope. just the monday just the monday my my father has off like tomorrow and Monday and Tuesday. I, I was like, I need to get your manager. I know. That's awesome. <laughs> no gripe to my manager if you're listening out there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe this is the push he needs, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so we have a really cool topic today. We're going to be talking about um, Cube Slice with Rob. Uh, we'll give you a little more about him. But before we dive into that, uh, networking world. Let's do a little bit of news. Bob, and why don't you kick us off? Yeah, sure. So Google Cloud Next is this week, right? And they did, uh, following their, their Google I.O. announcement, the first keynote was all AI, 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 AI. <laughs> I think they also yeah, have a AI session in the catalog with just... AI, I get AI. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, they introduced something called Do It AI in Google Cloud. And okay. uh, it definitely has a component where it works with Google Workspaces and helps you do Google Sheets and Google Docs better. But then from a Google Cloud perspective and the app modernization space that we work with usually, uh, it can help you modernize your applications, right? So you can just tell it like, okay, this is my C++ app or this is my C++ function. Please rewrite it in Go and make sure that instead of using a local DB, I use Cloud SQL. Again, this is trying to move yeah. applications to their cloud, but it just mm-hmm. does all of that and uh, rewrites your code, gives you a new Go app or Go function. Uh, and you can start using cloud databases. So I think that was pretty cool, like the demo that I saw during the keynote. So uh, I just wanted to share is that. Is that scary, though? Is that replacing someone's job? <laughs> it is, but... It's borderline <laughs> replacing someone's job. Like, you still need people who can understand Go to verify that what AI has written is actually yeah. correct and what you want to do. So there still needs to be barriers and, I don't know, uh, uh, tests written and made sure that the functionality is the same but at least it removes some of the heavy lifting i feel like this is one of those turtles all the way down this is when we're gonna have yeah. ai verifying the ai output yeah and then yep. it keeps turtles that's it <laughs> some some ai has to keep the other ai honest right like <laughs> yeah. awesome well that's cool that's good stuff and it will it can also help developers who don't uh, like want to spend time or learn to write complex SQL sure, they get more done. Yep, that's another way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they can just ask like in natural language, like just generate a query that gives me X, Y, and Z from this table and join that table with it. And then it just gives everything in a, in a proper query format. So that was cool too. That's fair. Yeah. So those were a couple of uh, announcements I know. Uh, uh, and then moving on, I think I saw Cube, uh, Cube Cost Cloud and we have spoken to the cube cost guys yeah. uh, we have spoken about how cube cost cloud was in beta now it's ga finally so uh, you can now install it using a simple helm chart on your 
Kubernetes clusters, AKS, GKE, EKS, I think, and get everything integrated into one unified portal and manage your costs from that single pane of glass. So that's a cool thing to check out. They do have a free trial. And then uh, Keda, right? When we did the whole serverless approach, I spent some time like researching more about Keda and understanding how the event-driven autoscaler works. Uh, it That project inside CNCF has now moved to a graduated state. So it's now a graduated CNCF project for people who are keeping track at home, I guess, uh, of CNCF projects. <laughs> but yeah, that's a quick news section for me. Awesome. Uh, I just have a few here. Uh, the first one is around what NetApp's up to in Google Cloud. So they have... Um, you know, offered basically a first-party managed file file storage service built into Google Cloud now. So nice. um, this, uh, I think this was announced at Google Cloud Next, I believe, uh, okay. to GA. So I think it's been around, but this is Google uh, Cloud NetApp, Google Cloud NetApp volume. Nice. For some buzzword <laughs> bingo there. Um, but this is all about the network file system support uh, across um, those uh, platforms. And they have some other stuff in that announcement around, you know, using the right types of storage for a lot of these AI workloads. Okay. If it's, you know, uh, the reality is most announcements will try to mention the word AI at some yeah. point. Um, but uh, and for, yeah, it is centered around that. Funny thing is every conference will get try to get the NVIDIA CEO Jensen on the keynote stage like VMware did it last week. Google <laughs> he's Cloud did he's it this a popular week. guy. Yeah. Like we need some some AI, some NVIDIA in our keynote to boost our stock price up, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, One fun fact. Well, yeah. This all this stuff is still uh, powered by um, their ONTAP yeah. operating system. So um, all the things you'd normally get, like snapshots and replication and stuff, should be all familiar. But now it is effectively GA and available for you to use. Nice. A, a fun uh, fact about one, that. One second. Uh, yeah, I used to work at NetApp, right? So the NetApp CEO. You did? Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the NetApp CEO and the Google Cloud CEO are actually twin brothers. Like identical twin brothers <laughs> identical twins. that yeah. is funny i didn't think i knew that yeah. Yeah. so just now, just a fun fact <laughs> in your in your uh technology bingo wherever you play at your uh, next uh, nice. local brewery you'll have that one in your pocket yeah <laughs> trivia night <laughs> successful family there <laughs> yep um okay so the next one i had was around gke enterprise yeah. so uh google obviously launched Kubernetes way back in the day. I shouldn't say way back in the day, about 10 years ago yeah. or less. And um, they've had obviously their GKE offering for quite some time. Uh, but this newest announcement is really around GKE Enterprise, which builds on top of everything they've done um, with things like Anthos and GKE yeah. and everything. And it really is, I think, aimed at managing more complexity of multiple clusters, yeah. whether that's GKE clusters and Anthos clusters and things like that. So uh, it ties in security and governance and, and all these things. So it's kind of a, a level up to, yeah. you know, I don't know, Charizard, if you're into that kind of thing, uh, <laughs> leveling was, up their service. <laughs> it was weird when like uh, the first line in that blog post was, oh, GKE Enterprise is the premium edition of GKE. And my mind went to like, why isn't GKE the premium edition of GKE? Why, why, why isn't it premium? Well, we had to give uh, the new thing a new name. Yeah. Um, so it is multi-cluster. But... Like they have a concept called fleets and you can manage multiple clusters easily and exactly. things like that. So, yeah. Uh, and and we're we're I mean we're gonna talk about this hopefully yeah. today a little bit around and we have been talking about it with previous guests. And now I think the the whole industry as a as an entirety yeah. 
is moving towards those more complex how do you do things multi-cloud multi-cluster those kind of things so not too surprising that they're centering in on this and uh, along with other companies Mm -hmm. so but yeah it's called gke enterprise Uh, i've always been a fan of gke stuff so i'm sure it's i'm sure some good stuff um good we'll have the all these links in the show notes if you want to go dig into it some more um i have a couple others that i haven't mentioned i won't go into them but one's Mm -hmm. an article about api gateways if you're new to api gateways and what they're about and how they work there's a cool one there and then one on ngrok static domains if you're a fan of ngrok like i am about publishing some stuff you're working on locally you can have your own static domain now for free nice um so uh you can name it I don't know what you can name it, but maybe something identifiable, <laughs> which is nice. You can always go back to the same place instead yeah. of randomly generated stuff. So um, go check those two articles out as well. Uh, all right. So today we have Rob Curteau from Avisha. Uh, he's He kind of manages director of growth over there. And he's here to talk to us about CubeSlice, which is an open source project they have uh, surrounding what do you know? Multi-cloud, multi-cluster networking and connectivity. Um, so uh, without further ado, let's get Rob on the show. As long-time listeners of the Kubernetes Bytes podcast know, I like to visit different national parks and go on day hikes. As part of these hikes, it's always necessary to hydrate during and after it's done. This is where our next sponsor comes in, Liquid IV. I've been using Liquid IV since last year on all of my national park trips because it's really easy to carry and I don't have to worry about buying and carrying Gatorade bottles with me. A single stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates two times faster than water and has more electrolytes than ever. The best part is I can choose my own flavor. Personally, I like passion fruit, but they have 12 different options available. If you want to change the way you hydrate when you're outside, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code Kubernetes Bytes at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code Kubernetes Bytes at liquidiv.com. All right. Welcome to Kubernetes Bytes, Rob. It's great to have you here. We're going to talk all things Kubernetes and networking, hopefully. Um, but before we jump into all those questions we have for you, please introduce yourself to everyone yeah. and what you do. Great, thanks for having me. So my name is Rob Curteau. I'm the Director of Enablement at Avisha, uh, and I basically help our customers um, understand and maximize the potential of using our products for their Kubernetes, Kubernetes ecosystems. Very, very cool. So you work uh, for Avisha, and today we're going to talk a lot about sort of uh, what CubeSlice is. So give us a brief introduction about um, what that project's all about and really what, what challenges are, are out there today around it. Yeah, so CubeSlice is one of our flagship products, uh, and it simplifies cross-cluster communications, mm-hmm. uh, either in a hybrid environment across multiple clouds, or if you're in a single cloud, across regions. Uh, so we're able to do that seamlessly. And what the real nut of the product is uh, the communication between those those different clusters. It's done seamlessly. We can get that up and running in you know, 10, 15 minutes, and you have that cluster connectivity. Very cool. Yeah, I know uh, multi-cloud, multi-cluster are um, hot topics this year. I think there'll be um, hot topics going into 2024 as well. Yep. I think more people um, as they run Kubernetes are like, how do I do this more than once and in yeah. different places? Even <laughs> so. Yeah. more so than that. Like I've come across with uh, a lot of the customers where I just talked to one yesterday and he's like, hey, we were trying to figure out how to do this in-house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so 
you know, the table is starting to turn. Because back when we all started containers, we're like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna containerize my application because then I can run it anywhere. Right. And then we we're like, well, yeah, I can't really run it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, can, but in, in pockets. <laughs> so the need now for, for those corporations and the enterprises that really want to have that those disparate clouds and not be vendor locked in and really deploy their uh, applications anywhere. Let's just take like a DR scenario, right? They, mm-hmm. they want to have something running in Azure and something running in AWS. Uh, and it's very difficult to do that today, yeah. networking wise and Kubernetes wise. So our whole goal was to to simplify that. And that's exactly what Kubeslice does. So you're able to connect those two clusters uh, and then deploy the workloads or the, the microservices where it makes sense across those cloud providers. Or if it's a DR scenario, right? Just keep it as a warm standby. If yep. something happens in AWS, just flip the switch and you're over in Azure and your uh, customers are on the wiser. Absolutely. So, and we'll, we'll get in some use cases, but um, yep. Kubeslice is open source. Has it always been open source? When we first started, it was not. Okay, so what, what was what was that like? Why did why was the choice to open source it? Yeah, so we really wanted to harness the power of the community, not only give back. So when we were developing CubeSlice, we were following close with the uh, CNCF SIG Multi Cluster Group, just mm-hmm. to make sure that that we're in line with what the the community is looking for. So we we took pieces of CubeSlice, not the whole thing, right? We took the connectivity piece of it, mm-hmm. uh, and then open sourced that out to to the community. So we really want to, you know obviously enable the developers, any DevOps teams out there, the community, you know, the Kubernetes community as a whole, because, you know, we all take from it anyways. So, <laughs> you know, we want to be good, good yeah, stewards. Citizens, yep. You could dribble it back, right? Absolutely. That's awesome. But, you know, and it gives like those younger developers that are coming into the space a new project to work on, right? No, that's a good reason, right? Like building community yeah. and just making sure people have the tools and technology to yeah, and make it complex better. setups. And it's great. Like we don't want to develop in a in a vacuum, right? Yeah. Oh, I think the customers want this. So by giving it out to the developers, they've got their own little unique use cases, and you know those those commits and PRs will will help us just grow the platform. For sure. So like I, I want to focus on the hybrid cloud, multi cloud story, right? Like speaking right. from my past terrible experiences, uh, <laughs> I've configured like a Cisco ASR router on prem to talk to like a Cisco CSR instance in the cloud and establish a VPN, and that's like really difficult and really tedious. Like okay, so I'm sure that's one of the challenges that CubeSlice is solving for with the whole cross cloud thing, but. Can you talk a bit more about like just the general challenges that you see, right? When you're talking to customers that want to adopt such an architecture. Yeah, sure. And I can just give you some of my own previous experience uh, outside of our customers today. So prior to joining Avisha, I was at a consulting company called Taos and they were bought by IBM. And one of the things I did there was uh, I led the Google practice. So part of my um, consulting pieces on the Google side was really to get those Google customers onto Anthos. And so I started the Anthos practice there and just exactly what you said there, just me getting it set up in my lab of just getting Anthos up, right? Just getting the developer workstations in place, doing that connectivity. I could only work with the F5s if I was deploying it on VMware. I had to use the Seesaw load balancer. And they're like, well, if you've got pans or anything else, like, you know, you're on your own, you got to kind of figure that out. And so once once we did all that, Part of the practice, the big part of the professional services is going into the, the customer site and doing IP mapping and management from day one. That is really the bulk of it. So depending on, like if you're a huge enterprise, you could have thousands of 
depending on your account strategy, let's take AWS, right? You could have thousands of accounts. Every developer has their own AWS account. Uh, how those uh, systems talk to each other. Now you've got STS gateways. You got a routing nightmare. You've got it all. And then if you're trying to connect, say, from developer one's um, developer one's account to developers two, and they want some services to talk, well, you can't really do that, right? If you have the IP overlap, mm-hmm. right? So maybe in that case, look at a lot of customers just stick with the Tenda and they just give everybody the default Tenda and that's it. And so when you get into that, those sticky situations, it's a, it's a nightmare and it just takes months, months to just untangle that and plan for it before you even do any type of uh, connectivity between the clusters or workload. Yeah. And you're talking about like the, uh, the, how organizations are distributing these cider ranges, but even inside Kubernetes, right? Like inside a specific cluster, I know initially I used to have like a specific parameter cider range and I used cube ADM, but no, I don't no longer do that. It's just whatever Kubernetes gives me by default. And obviously that will create the, the overlap in IP spaces. And then, yeah, it's not fun when you have same ranges across two different clusters trying to talk to each other. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad that we have a solution like CubeSlice that's open source that can help us solve that. Uh, do you want to talk about like how CubeSlice actually does this? Yeah, I certainly can. Yeah. So uh, what CubeSlice does, and let me just explain the slice just for yeah. uh, for the audience so they understand it's the not concept. A pizza. We'll start yeah, with that. It is not a pizza. So <laughs> let's say we have a three clusters, one in each major cloud provider, right? We've got one in AWS, Azure, uh, and Google. And so the concept of the slice is being able to take resources from all those clusters and create a a virtual cluster, if you will, Mm -hmm. across all three physical clusters in the different cloud environments. And that encapsulates a slice. You onboard your application onto that slice. Underneath, it doesn't doesn't know what's going on. Uh, And the mechanics behind it is we label some of the nodes. You can create your own node group if you want for the gateways, but Mm -hmm. uh, you just have to label one of the nodes in each of the cluster. And that's when we do the, the Helm install where the bits get installed. Gotcha. So when we install the bits, we create a point-to-point VPN tunnel automatically between all the clusters that are engaged. And so every slice has its own router, its own DNS, it's isolated. The application is isolated. So the connectivity is per slice. And we handle that. We handle the certificates. We handle the service imports and exports across the clusters, so they're aware. We handle this, the namespace sameness across all those different clusters. So from the app level, uh, if you're looking at it from a platform team's point of view, mm-hmm. they can put the resources wherever they want and just give that slice to the developer, let them deploy their application, and that's all they need to do. And all that traffic, I know there's another question maybe around this, but the traffic itself is layer three. Okay. Uh, east to west across all those clusters. There's no need unless this, unless the application requires it, right? There's no need for a separate ingress for those services to talk now. Okay, that makes it really easy because like ingress are great, ingress endpoints are great, but yeah, it's an, an additional resource that you have to develop and manage on top of your Correct. clusters. Yes. Yeah. Correct. I it, it's funny. This brings me back. I when I first got into just this industry as a whole, like coming out of school, uh, I was working on Open vSwitch and I was like working in Open Flow. Um, like lab where we were testing switches and all these things. But I remember specifically um, a little later on when Docker first got announced, um, mm-hmm. some of the, I forget which startup it was, uh, who got bought by Docker back in the day, they developed this basically overlay technology where you could just 
create a, a an, over, an overlay network within Docker and Swarm, and it would just kind of you could assign whatever you know setter address you wanted, and it would just be like poof, you could use the same one over and over again. And I was like, this is magic, right? Yeah. Um, and, I, and like that's the I think a, a lot of the power is kind of you have your own little space, you're, you everything uh, can communicate onto it, and now being able to do this kind of across clouds um, is really powerful. Uh, and I, I guess the question to that I that comes up when you were talking about that is, you know, do um, the end users need to be aware of anything, any requirements between those, right? So are there latency, you know, mm-hmm. uh, constraints or requirements that people need to be aware of? Like, what does that look like across region and cloud? Yeah, they, they don't really. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't even come into play, right? Because it's not going all. If this was uh, the typical cloud networking where we, let's say AWS, and we were getting the STS gateways and we had to figure out where we were going to route it through. There's another management network. We don't need to because it's point to point. So the, the latency between the two clusters is very minimal. Okay. okay. That's awesome. Like hopefully this helps users that, I don't know, by mistake, keep their cube API server exposed to the public. So <laughs> making sure that this doesn't require any public connection definitely helps. Yes. And the, you know, the other piece I just want to tack onto that because you mentioned it too, Ryan, is uh, that cider address, the overlapping side address. So in the slice construct, because it's isolated, let's say you were constrained with your IP space itself, mm-hmm. and you only had a few cider blocks that you could um, that you could carve out. So we could take the same RFC 19 address, whether it's 192, 10, what have you, yeah. slash 16, and you could reuse that same cider on multiple slices. Oh, nice. Okay. You could have 10, 10 slices across those same three clusters yeah. using the same cider, and they, they never will conflict. Yeah, that's very powerful. I know. That's awesome. Well, okay. So before we go into more of those nitty-gritty details, which All I right. do want to get into, um, I think I want to go back to a little bit of the use cases again, right? So mm-hmm. communication across region, cloud, those kind of, or cluster, that makes sense. But there's also one that we've talked about, Bob, and with, with previous guests is how teams do migration, both from, uh, we've done this from sort of a storage capacity, yeah. but also just from like, you know, I'm, I'm a team developing things on-prem, I'm using Kubernetes, but now I want to start using cloud or, or maybe they're moving off cloud. Um, how does this come into play when you're kind of crossing that chasm of on-prem to cloud and what, what does that migration mm-hmm. look like in, in this world? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's one I get asked all the time. It's actually the, the use case I lead into with customers. Oh, cool. Now, Having mentioned that I was at the the Taos practice, this was one of the things I had to do all the time, right? Cloud migrations from on-prem into into the cloud. And so I had a large um, online, not a retailer, but a vacation travel kind of site, right? And they had a bunch of Kubernetes clusters on-prem. We were building their landing zone in, in, uh, in Google, creating some GKE clusters. And they're like, hey guys, when can we get these clusters? Because, you know, we've got a, fix our pipelines. We've got to, you know, do some massaging in the back and like, well, guys, you know, we got to build a platform, right? So we have to do all the routing. We have to work with your network guys to get the PGP tunnels set up between Megaport and your on-premise and all that. And that's weeks, right? It's weeks worth of time. So had I had this software, we could have just connected the two still while we were doing the platform stuff, right? Because it's a point to point. Activity, at least for them to, to provide them a test bed, so they can set up all the ancillary things that they need to do in the meantime. So that that's one half of that use case. The second half, let's just say that the foundation was already built. Yep. Now it's just me connecting 
those two clusters together or three or five or mm -hmm. whatever the case may be and redeploying my app onto the slice and putting and splitting the microservices wherever I wanted them. Mm -hmm. So if I had 15 microservices, I had three clusters and it made sense to split them into fives, whatever the, the case yeah. may be. I can put five on a AWS, five on Azure and five on, uh, on Google and it would make no difference to, to the end customer. And that's how I demo it too. When I demo to customers, I use the on Google's online boutique. It's got 12 microservices. Mm -hmm. I sprinkle them all around. We go through the front interface. So I make, you know, adjustments in the carts and yeah. I buy the fictitious yeah. stuff and there you go. Yeah. No one knows. That's yeah. Awesome. So, so in, in terms of like, you know, doing like blue green and things like that, you can kind of like roll services or, or applications yes. out in either cloud and start yep. hitting more and more of the one you're deploying in a different cluster. And because Correct. it's all on the same network, you'll still kind of, you can set it up. So it round robins and might. Absolutely. Both, right? okay. Yeah. So everything that we've done, it's all Kubernetes native. So all the Kubernetes constructs apply rolling updates, replica sets, the whole, the whole spiel. And I, I think this is one of the solutions that actually will help me with the cloud bursting scenario where I don't want to like use up all the capacity or elasticity mm -hmm. that I have in the cloud, but I want to have that option open. Mm -hmm. And if it's a slice that's pre-configured come Black Friday, I just have to like ramp up my instances and then just spin up more pods. Exactly. That's awesome. And so that's a use case we're doing with one of the large financial institutions. They, it's that exact use case. <laughs> awesome. Speaking of demoing, I feel like um, I feel like now, given the slice, and I talked about pizza before, there's got to be a demo in your future that has to be like selling pizza slices or something. Oh, I know. Uh, or isn't there a slice app? Too. Isn't that like a real <laughs> application, right? That like you can connect to. Uh, I've ordered pizza through it. I think so. I think yeah. there's a, there's okay. a thing in the future there. Yeah, I've used it plenty. Yeah, <laughs> it's called Slice. Okay, so uh, Rob, you mentioned that everything with Kubeslice is Kubernetes native. So how do we install it? Uh, are there operators available? What does the installation workflow look like? Yep. So um, you install it via Helm. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a Kubeslice CLI wrapper. So we create a, a topology file. You fill out the context of the you know, the clusters that you're trying to configure. Uh, use that to install, and it'll install the, all the operators on all the clusters that are in that that topology file. Oh, perfect! And it like creates all the connections between the different clusters that are part of the slice. Yep, you don't need to do a thing. Once it's done, it's all it's all configured. Then you log into the UI, and from inside the UI, if you wanted to, right, you don't have to, but yeah. you can use the UI to create the slice, uh, do the isolation, the resource quotas, all that fun stuff. If not, you can go to the YAML section of the our documentation and create the slice config YAML if you want and tailor it as you need to and go through the normal constructs. That's awesome. So like, is this when you are seeing users and customers adopting this, right? Do you see this like developers doing this on self-service basis or they're still relying on their network teams, quote unquote, to like, oh, please set up a slice for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, as, as a second half, I know it's a long question, but as a second part, right? Can I integrate the slice construct in my CI/CD pipelines or my GitOps, GitOps uh, pipelines that I might have to deploy yeah. applications for specific slice? The answer is yes and yes. Let's <laughs> go. Cool. Yeah, the first, the first half of it is it's really more of uh, we're seeing the platform teams, yeah. right? And the larger enterprises, they want the they want the control to create the slices, uh, and they'll use whatever their normal, you know. Uh, service now or Jira tickets, whatever, mm -hmm. to get the request to provision something. Yeah, um, and some are also saying, "Yeah, we as a platform team, we can totally do that." But now we need to educate our internal developers on a, 
the freedom to deploy wherever they want now. So when they're when they're making changes to their CACD pipelines and they're doing the redeploy on the slice, mm-hmm. where clusters do they put those microservices? Yeah. You know, I think that's one thing as we keep interviewing various people from around the industry, it's it's one thing we're seeing is it really depends on how much that organization has really adopted sort of that DevOps yeah. and mm-hmm. sort of uh, you know platform team because the reality is it does vary, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's the the unicorn would be you know one team knows all these things and can manage these things, but as we're asking you know one team to also know storage, also know networking, yeah. also know all these other things. I think that's a natural, um, you know, to see a yes and yes scenario. So uh, it's good to know. Um, speaking of speaking of those types of requirements, right? Provisioning the network or a slice is one thing, but what about beyond that? How how is that network secured? Does it also provide things like firewalling or network policies? Uh, you mentioned it was just L three, right? Uh, yeah. But it, does it help with other layers as well? It does. Yeah. So. Um, the L3 connectivity between the, the clusters are, it's obviously encrypted. Mm-hmm. The, the slice constructs, construct itself is the isolation barrier. So we're, we layer on uh, network policies onto the slice at the slice level Okay. that encompasses those namespaces. So if you already got network policies, great. It's just an additive policy already. So when you go into the UI, you click on, let's say you want to onboard a couple more namespaces to, for that application to communicate with. You create the policy, you apply it, uh, and the UI does the rest. Okay, interesting. So uh, I, I think, like, since you brought up UI a couple of times, right, I wanted to ask, like, is uh, the UI component of Kubeslice also open source, or that's something that you have to pay for? Because you see other vendors in the ecosystem do that, right? Like, oh, the CLI thing is free, but then if you need a UI, it's paid. Uh, so I wanted to like start there, and then I have a follow-up yeah. question as well, Rob. Sure, yeah, it's the latter. So okay. the UI comes with the enterprise version. Okay. Uh, all the things that we're talking about, you can do with the open source piece. So the, the, the open source piece is the connectivity piece. Yeah. So if you want to do any of the other bells and whistles, the resource quotas on the slice, you know, graphically you can do it obviously with kubernetes constructs right but yeah. uh the automation in the ui is where that's at okay gotcha and then i i saw on your website like when rand and i were doing our research uh, uh cube also helps me with ip address management or I, ipam uh is that a feature that's available in the open source one can how, how do i manage ip addresses across different clusters yeah so that the ip um management piece is around that RFC 1918 address. Yeah. That's what it's inferring to. So if you've got that one, you don't have to do the, the bulk of the planning across all your different cloud providers and, and set up. Obviously you have to do some to make sure that that one that you choose does not conflict in your, your other sites. Yeah. And then you could repurpose it across all the slices. Okay. Or if I... you have a handful, right, you can just use a, a subset of them. Okay. And how does it work with like CNI plugins? Do I need the same CNI plugin everywhere? Uh, different CNI plugins will work CNI on- CNI agnostic. So the, the, so the way it actually works is uh, under the covers, anything that's going on traffic wise and it's communicating in that local cluster, it uses the local CNI. Oh, okay. If it needed to talk to a service in another cluster, it's going to use the NSM interface, which is going over the tunnel to talk to the other cluster to get the information back. And then it routes it back through the CNI. Gotcha. To okay. the and, uh, like how, how does 
cube slice work with service meshes. I'm just thinking about the different yeah. scenarios, right? CNI yeah. transparent that works, but uh, if I'm if I as an organization I'm already using Istio or something else from a service mesh perspective and enforcing or doing traffic routing, how does that work with cube slice? Yeah, we say God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a fun answer. <laughs> Yeah, because we don't we don't care. It, it has nothing to do. It does not change the slice behavior. Okay. So if you're already entrenched in Istio, um, you can certainly configure the slice to use Istio ingress and um, and egress yep. for your application. So nothing really changes there. Um, and if you, we do have some customers that ask us, well, do I even need a like if I'm going down this path, do I need a service mesh? And we say, yep. well, you know, most of the time you're doing the service mesh for the inter-cluster, intra-cluster mm-hmm. traffic yeah. management, mm-hmm. right? And we're more looking at the inter-cluster traffic management. So if you're using Istio in the mesh in your existing cluster, keep it if it's serving the purpose for you. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't interfere with what, what we're trying to accomplish in the, the connectivity piece. Gotcha. So you effectively have pods that are sort of dual honed to they're all the, the, the yeah right to the network that is a slice and also to the rest of Correct. the Kubernetes cluster. Oh, yeah, Correct. I'm just picturing this like weird Tron tunnel <laughs> in my head for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that's really powerful. Um, you know, this show started off. We talked a lot about um, container storage because mm-hmm. of Bob Knight's background, uh, and I did see a couple things around, specifically around databases, say running like Postgres or Mongo or CockroachDB. Which um, even you know, Cockroach being sort of a multi, you know, multi-cloud, multi-region sort of uh, database as well. What uh, can CubeSlice, I think, help with when running? databases specifically uh, because things get naturally a little more complicated when you start adding storage to the yeah. To the <laughs> yeah so um we have if you go to our youtube channel well you can do this at the end but we have a, a video here where we're doing a demo with a pac-man application right and we're using mongodb with three replica three replica sets and those replicas are across three different cloud providers and so in that entrance instance we're showing the resiliency of having the application on the slice across the cloud providers mm-hmm. and we'll generally kill the pods that are running the DB service on the master and wherever it's running. Uh, and, you know, Mongo does its thing. Mm-hmm. It's a latching, brings it back up and the slice is none the where. So when you go back to play the application uh, mm-hmm. in the front end, you'll see that the, the cloud provider changed, but the data that has all the historical high, uh, like your high scores is still intact. So it helps by, you know, allowing you to distribute that your databases across the cloud providers and not having to do anything necessarily special that they already do. Okay. Uh, so you can you can have essentially replicas of each of those types of databases in different regions Correct. or clouds yep. and let them do their typical application level replication Correct. over the network. But it doesn't stop you from using something like storage or volumes or PPCs underneath locally to keep things safe as well. Okay. Correct. Interesting. And okay, that's a good use case. My point goes to like, are people actually doing that? That's like uh, (laughs) a really complicated setup, right? When you have- I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We actually created this demo because one of the large financial institutions in in Toronto, uh, the big one over there, this was their stem from their use case. Okay. Like we've got these Mongo replicas all over the place and we need to protect the data. So, if, you know, 
even if it's on-prem, right? So if they wanted to be able to safeguard their data and if something goes bump in the night, that there's no interruptions to the transactions. Gotcha. I mean, I always think back to, um, oh, I don't even know when this use case occurred, but the Netflix, you know, Cassandra use case, where they had those things kind of everywhere on those rings. And anyway, I, I know I we didn't talk about Cassandra, but you could just, you know, people have been doing these types of, I think, architectures. Yeah. And now I think the more people are deploying them, you know, you know on, on Kubernetes, these things are just necessities that come as part of, hey, I want to do this architecture. Yeah, availability or something. And in that same data vein, um, we're seeing customers that are coming out of the woodwork, especially around their Kafka clusters, mm -hmm. right? So having distributed, they're having a hard time doing distributive Kafka across cloud providers, Sure. right? So they can have multiple, you know, Kafka clusters wherever they are in AWS, but getting them to talk to each other either across region, what have you, is, is difficult. Um, so they're, they're trying to, uh, that's, one of the next demos we're, we're trying to put out there is doing multiple uh, Kafka clusters across different cloud providers on the slice and having it stream as data yeah. through using both you know, the resources from both uh, clusters. So is that is that like a, a broker would be replicating? Correct. Externally? Yeah. I forget the yeah. actual terminology in yeah. Kafka land, but it is broker. Yeah. <laughs> It's awesome. And Ryan, thank you for bringing up Cassandra, right? I just remembered when you were yeah. talking like, Kate Sandra, the operator, actually now supports deploying Cassandra instances across different geographies. Mm. And then, but in their documentation, they're like, you have to take care of networking. If all the clusters <laughs> can talk to each other, we can deploy it. And this just fits perfectly. Yeah, so it's awesome. Yeah, at the very beginning, I think we did the same thing with Postgres. Like before we had all the, the UI and all the, the fancy stuff. Um, that was one of the first demos, right? Just doing a Postgres replication across yeah. on the slide, across different cloud providers. And yeah, it was great. Gotcha. And uh, I think I want to talk about a bit about like auto scaling, right? I know we spoke about cloud bursting. Uh, how does like, can Kubeslice help me with specifying any auto scaling rules? If I'm moving things around to a dif different cluster inside the slice, can I can I scale up the worker nodes, things like that? Can AI, the, the new buzzword, play any role in that? <laughs> so Cube Slice, no. We have a second product called Smart Scaler for that. Okay. So we um, Smart Scaler does exactly what you say. We have an RL-based AI engine um, that learns the application behavior, and it will set the configuration for your HPA autoscaler now constantly okay. over so you won't have to go into every single one of your clusters for all those particular workloads and set the minimum and maximum thresholds and, and waste time and money, right? So the goal there with SmartScaler is really about the, the savings. Yeah. So um, we've seen in some of the training models that we have anywhere up to almost 70% savings Ooh, okay. on the cluster. And so we're going to be modest. Let's just say it's 35, right? <laughs> Even 35% savings is great. And the, the other thing that we we kind of tout around smart scalers. Now you can actually offer your users SLOs mm -hmm. against that where before you can't. And then of course it's around really around the cost save, right? If you're just willy nilly spinning up pods, like to your case, like black Friday, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna burst into the cloud, but I'm gonna have my auto scaler set to however many thousands of pods. Oh. Cause I don't know. Right. It's back in the AWS days when the black Friday came around, we had to talk to the customers and say, Hey, uh, we noticed the data from last year. We need to warm all your EC2 instances <laughs> underneath and get them ready, right? So we yep. can do all that fun stuff. It's in the same concept, but now, you know, it's uh, predictive AI that's doing it. 
I like, are we, are we in that part of, uh, the, the advancement of these technologies where we're allowed to say back in the AWS days, I feel like, I I feel like that, that, I mean, it's the reality is I think we think that way, you know, given the where technology is going and kind of where we want it to go. But I just had to key in on that. that. (laughs) Even now they've changed that even at AWS, right? There's no more pre-warming. They kind of you know, figured all that out, but oh, so we say OG at ABS days, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> OG, for um, sure. So you know, I we've seen other applications and platforms do similar things in terms of using um, you know AI or models to kind of help different aspects of running Kubernetes platforms, whether that be costs or kind of monitoring or even troubleshooting. Does um, the autoscaler piece or the smart scaler piece? tap into the kubeslice networks to know what's going on at all or like where does it get its metrics or data from that's... so it's pulling its metrics from prometheus okay so it's taking all the prometheus metrics and that's what they're using to train the model or if you're using datadog it'll pull the, your your datadog metrics from all the clusters and collate it and, and do its algorithms based on that for the traffic prediction yeah Right. And Prometheus being so widely, I think, used, that's, um, you know, so you have Prometheus, uh, Datadog, any others that I think are supported out there? Or yeah. uh, Right now, off the top of my head, it's I think it's those two. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you Prometheus, you got probably 80% of the market, right? Yeah. I, would, I would imagine. I have that. There's no basis in my percentages right there, but. <laughs> that's the part of having a podcast, right? You can make claims. <laughs> <laughs> And the feature for that too, that they're developing based on some feedback from a customer was they want to have the ability to do like, um, scheduling via a calendar. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's say, you know, black Friday is coming then, you know, it's, it's based on calendar events or the, the use case is really around like an online betting retailer. They're like, we cannot lose any data. There can be no disruption whatsoever. Yeah. So if, you know, a fight's coming out. As simple as that, right? There's going to be a fight. Let's say it was the the Musk and Zuckerberg fight, right? And you're putting, <laughs> and you're going to put bets on it, right? They don't want to lose not a dollar from that. I know. So they want to use that kind of uh, that feature to make sure they're scheduling it based on what the events are. And that do we do we know that's not happening, or or is there? Yeah, I think that's not happening. They yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I would have paid that pay per view. Yeah. I would pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> we can just aim for the Super Bowl. Like we, the the gambling company doesn't want to lose any bets uh, during a Super Bowl. Let's say. There you go. Well, speaking of use cases, do you um do you have uh some really good use cases that you could talk about? You don't have to you know mention names or anything like that. I know you've mentioned a few already, but any favorites that come to mind that would be kind of useful? Um, yeah, the only one I think I I haven't mentioned was we had a large retailer that um, they're in a precarious situation for pop-up stores, especially during the summer, uh-huh. where getting the connectivity from whatever that location may uh-huh. be and connecting it to the back end, it was just it would just take too long mm-hmm. for them to do it. So um, we came up with with a I called it the Edge Stack yeah. <laughs> Edge Stack Retail Accelerator. So we basically took uh, some um, Novo Nooks. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Right? And then we installed Kubernetes on the Nooks. Nice. And then we connected those Nooks to their backend Kubernetes OMS systems and, and all that fun stuff. So now there's a mesh. I don't I don't want to use the word mesh. Now there's connectivity between the pop-up store and and their backend okay. seamlessly. 
And so, so they also had problems and we, we partnered with, uh, with Cox edge around this okay. because we needed that last mile of connectivity. Right. And so <laughs> they, um, their big problem was, you know, they do some pop-up stores, let's say here in New York city. Yep. And yes. some of the buildings are so old that they can't get reliable internet. So they end up having to rent trucks, put the antenna on the damn roof, and then run all the cable <laughs> down so they can operate the pop-up store. Uh, and the other use case for that same retailer was around uh, space in the retail stores. Like, So if you go into any high-end retailer, any retailer really, right? You go in the back and there's a server rack in there yeah. with a switch yep. and some other stuff. And so in pop-up stores, having that space, is it's a loss, right? Mm -hmm. They need to have merchandise in there so yeah. they can sell so having just this underneath the counter at the end where they're doing the POS point of view or the POS checkouts, mm -hmm. no space so they can get more square footage to, to do what they need to do. Got it. So that, that basically that, that point of sale software is running sort of at the edge closest to where these pop-ups happen and kind yeah. of provide that front end connectivity. Yeah. Back if, to if we want to like the, the full solution was, it was three parts. It was cube slice Cox edge for the, for the edge yeah. location. Uh, and then we also partnered with spectral cloud. So they did the, okay. the Kubernetes Kubernetes management. Stack. Yeah. 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 And we were able to stack all the, the corporations applications into the, into the blueprint or the pancake, which you call it. And so we deployed it, it did all its configurations on your own, which kind of alludes back to your CI CD question. So yeah. yes. Since it's you know native Kubernetes commands, you just do whatever you need to do. Very cool. I mean, all this talk about slices and pancakes, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I got some pizza in the fridge, actually. Why is, why is there why is there always a connection between technology and food? But I'm I'm not I'm not disliking it. But <laughs> um, well, I, I think this has been um, a super powerful conversation. I think there's so much I think in the networking space, especially I think if you're new to Kubernetes, a lot of things can be complicated. But the networking side of things might be one of the tougher ones to really wrap your head around, yeah. right? Just because there's at a base level without adding more overlays on top of <laughs> of networks i think coming out with new solutions that drive simplicity has to be sort of at the at the front right yeah and so mentioning on that note um avisha themselves they're now in the, the gartner hype cycle okay they put us into the new one is for kubernetes networking for mm -hmm. you know zero trust networking and the hype cycle for container technology and then the other one was for the programmable platform nice. so same thing for infrastructure strategy and you know data center infrastructure technology so it's starting to pick up more and more, and hopefully that utopia of deploy your application anywhere, we're able to help those customers do that. Got With it, the drawn tunnels in between, I guess. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, I guess, uh, uh, Rob, uh, one more question, right? I think uh, you brought up a lot of demos. Uh, are there communities that our listeners can join, uh, places where they can find these demos, uh, getting started guides, anything that you, can, you want to link or uh, give a call out to? So if you go to uh, avisha.io and then go to the documentation section, that'll bring you to the enterprise documentation. Mm -hmm. uh, there we have a link for a playground. So if you just want a playground, we have a, a bunch of kind clusters set up and you can go through and cruise around. There's also a quick start guide also. So if you wanted to try it in your own environment, we give a 30-day free trial license. Go ahead, download it, install it, play with it, break oh. it. Um, if you needed support, you can go to support.avisha.io put in a ticket. Uh, and if you're interested in the open source version, that's kubeslice.io. Okay. And then we're also in the Kubernetes Slack ecosystem. So if you're already part of the Kubernetes uh, Slack workspace, you can just go to uh, the hashtag kubeslice channel. 
Okay. And talk to the rest of the community users there. Great, great. And will you be at KubeCon Chicago yourself? I personally, I don't know if they're going to send me. I'm pretty sure there's a, there'll be a cohort of some kind. Yeah, nice. Um, but I may or may not be there. I hope to be. Well, whether it's you or not, uh, Bob and I usually do some live shows on the floor. Um, so if there's someone you'd be interested about talking to us again, we usually do sort of smaller 15 minute sort of conversations, but then we jam okay. them all together for some QCon episodes. We'd love oh, to get an update for kind of what you guys are up to yeah, that'd there be great. as well. All right. So time for chat GPT question uh, yes. segment. Sure. So I, I mentioned earlier that the question would be if uh, networking and Kubernetes were a superhero, what would it be? And, and, and you can give your best answer, or I can let you know what ChatGPT says, which is quite funny, actually. Well, if it was smart, it would say cube slice for sure. <laughs> nice. It, it, it gave the superpower, uh, sorry, it gave the uh, superhero the name of Connectron or Netweaver. I don't know, it gave two. I don't know why it gave two. <laughs> you know what's funny? Didn't uh, I think HashiCorp used Netweaver under the cover for its? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe they oh. got it from here, or maybe it got it from here. <laughs> <laughs> the, the superpower it says here would be seamless and dynamic networking. And I won't give you all the, uh, I'll give you the, the brief intro to its yeah. super abilities would nice. be a teleconnect net weaving, firewall manipulation, <laughs> traffic shaping, subspace mes messaging. I'm not even sure um, yeah. what, what to do with that one. And a resilience aura. Uh, against things like DDoS attacks, and its arch nemesis, the latency lurker. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird that it's making new characters up. I would have just gone with like Spider Man. I don't know, helping connect things with the net. That's it. I'm gonna say there needs to be some T-shirts made out of that one. We can make. Some yeah. <laughs> I didn't even mention it. I didn't mention this. Uh, this Connectron superhero has a battle cry. It goes like this: Forge the digital web, unite the code. I don't know why it chose that phrase, nice. but there's this battle cry. <laughs> Apparently has very little to do with networking, I think, but yeah. hey. <laughs> Depends on who you ask. Yeah, <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, Rob, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, hopefully Thank we'll you. talk to you again soon. Um, otherwise, yeah, take care. You too. Thanks, fellas. Thanks again. Thanks, Rob. All right. Well, that finishes up our conversation with Rob. I think the entire networking space around Kubernetes, like I was saying in our conversation, is a really complex one. Yep. Um, I, I started, like I said, my roots in sort of this networking space. And just if you were to take Kubernetes, vanilla Kubernetes and try to dive into uh, the networking side of things and CNIs and how the you know, cluster IPs work versus external IPs versus load balancing and all these things. It's a, it's quite a complex space. Yeah. So um, I do like, you know, the simplicity of uh, the multi-cluster kind of cube slice technology that um, it seems to be kind of targeting because it's already a huge space. So I don't know. What did you take out of this conversation? Uh, again, I, I really liked the conversation because I didn't, I don't know of any other solution right now, right? Like obviously I can do some research and find that out, but this is an interesting problem to solve and an actual problem to solve instead of just making shit up. Uh, I think this was <laughs> a real thing, like a real challenge. Uh, as I said on the episode, right? Uh, I have configured like for VM based workloads, I've configured like the Cisco routers on prem and, and in the cloud and, created these VPN tunnels and it took a lot of time. And if we want developers to have the agility and set up multi-cluster, multi-cloud things, we can't wait a couple of weeks to configure the, the tunnel between two clusters. Having something like Cube yeah. Slice create that slice construct, 
definitely helps makes multi cloud easy makes hybrid cloud easy so uh, i really like that part i also like the fact that most of what we spoke about today was open source i know the ui thing i was glad that we clarified that piece like yeah. the ui for it is uh, is an enterprise thing but if you just want to deploy cube slides on your own using yaml files and the helm chart it's all open source cube slides are io as well yeah yeah uh, so uh, those were like a couple of my key takeaways yeah i mean it's a good point around um the complexity of kind of creating these networks and we didn't we didn't really talk about underlay networks yeah. right at all in this episode but the reality of it is none of that really goes away right there's still a lot of kind of base connectivity and there's still a lot that goes on in that space yeah. but when you get to the point of this you know again abstractions are, are key when you're kind of working at the level of of these types of uh, kubernetes namespaces mm -hmm. and slices um being able to kind of click a button and connect two clusters is super powerful yeah um you know given that you already have the rest of that connectivity in place for those clusters to talk to each other now you can just make your applications seamlessly be able to discover each other and talk to each other i think it's super powerful as we mentioned earlier in the intro multi-cluster is definitely something companies are thinking about yeah. and and releasing new projects and project uh, products uh, around so i think we're going to see that more and more as time goes on so for me right um i think an interesting point is that migration is still a leading kind of use case uh that rob still mm -hmm. uses when he talks to customers i think this sh definitely shows that as we talk to these guests on the show we often talk about kind of leading edge things but the reality of it is uh, tons of people are still you know, moving to yeah. this type of technology, moving to Kubernetes and still really thinking about that migration use case about how do I get the workloads that I have here that we've been testing and, you know, dabbling with Kubernetes um, into these different spaces, different clouds now that we want to start using them. So I think that was just an interesting point that um, was not so surprising, but really uh, validating, I guess, yep. uh, to hear for me um and just kind of shows you that a technology like networking doesn't stop at just you know <laughs> connectivity and, and discovering of services it has other things that you can obviously use it for um in test dev staging those kind of things nice. cool well um that was a fun show and uh, i think that brings us to the end of today's episode bobbin um so i'm ryan i'm bobbin and thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. 